a big idea is like a journey. I think there's no Chinese proverb. A thousand mile journey begins with a single step. You just have to get started sometimes. Welcome to Tech Marketers Uncorked. Every episode, I share a glass of wine with a leader in the tech marketing field, bringing you the best B2B marketing strategies for you to make your own. On this episode of Tech Marketers Uncorked, I'm joined by Magali Pimtel, VP of Marketing at Encompass Corporation, leaders in Know Your Customer. Magali is a perfect guest for today's topic. With over 20 years of experience in B2B marketing across a range of organizations, including large, complex, multinational companies and young, innovative startups. So welcome, Magali. Let's start by uncorking this bottle. Today, we're sampling this Argentinian Malbec from Santa Julia. The story of this winemaker began in 1950 in the region of Mendoza, where Alberto Lucuzardi engineered an irrigation system to bring perfect conditions to the desert-like province. The company is today run by a third generation of family winemakers, producing high-quality wines and pursuing programs that benefit the land and the community. I like Argentinian wine. Yeah, it's all like uh, sustainable farm grapes. And apparently they have like social welfare programs and energy conservation. I'm all in for that kind of stuff. That's really cool. They seem to really care a lot. What do you think? How does it taste? Definitely get the plum. That's really nice. Yeah, it tastes like a nice Malbec. You can definitely see how it would go with meat and... That kind of brings me back to memories of sitting in vineyards in Argentina. That sounds uh, perfect. In the sunshine, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be one for a nice steak in a vineyard in the sun. Yeah, and Argentina's known for their steaks as well. Yeah, and basically, all you do is eat steak and salad and drink wine all day, every day. It's not very good for your waistline. <laughs> <laughs> I could do it for a bit, for a bit, definitely. Good choice. I definitely go more for the taste than the smell. I know you're supposed to appreciate it all. I get fruit and I get flowers, I think, from the smell. But I definitely get the plum coming through in the, um, in the taste. But it's just really smooth, really nice. But uh, we're not here today to talk <laughs> about the wine. We're here to talk about, you know, how you can do a lot with a little and how you can, you know, help big ideas come to life even if you don't have, you know, endless budget. I think a lot of people, you know, are dealing with that, especially in today's world when we're going through recessions and we've gone through <laughs> the economic impact of COVID. I mean, it's been a wild three years. But a lot of a lot of teams, you know, want to do a lot with a little. Yep. Tell me a little bit about your background and coming up through through, you know, the ranks and the kinds of organizations you were working with? Yeah, sure. So I've been in marketing for too long, over 20 years, and I, I've worked at all sorts of companies. So I started out at quite a large global organization, and I was there for a very long time. But within that, I was working in a smaller division. And we were quite a scrappy division in there, launching a new product. So it felt like being a big company had some of the security, but we were a very kind of small and nimble business. And, and really that kind of got me started on the startup scale-up route. When I left that organization, I wanted more of that. So the rest of my career has really been in startups, very small startups or scale-ups. And I think in all of those situations, you have to be a bit scrappy. You never have, you know, 
the resources that you really want to have because you're always dealing with very ambitious founders or salespeople who are trying to build up a pipeline from scratch. And really, it's about being quick and just getting as much bang for your buck as you possibly can. So I think what I have found across my whole career is when you work in a scale-up, startup, small organization, when you work close to founders, MDs, and salespeople, everyone's a marketer. Everyone has big ideas. And you still have to keep the lights on. So how do you keep people happy with the big ideas? Do what you know you need to be doing when you've got a small team, so you can't do it all. Um, so a lot of my career has really been on trying, I say trying, um, to achieve that balance and you know trying to make the good things happen while you carry on delivering value on a day-to-day basis because that's the reality of start up and scale up life. You can't not do anything while you're working up to a big idea. You've got to have value delivered all the way along. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of like bigger companies as well, you know, you might not get the budget that you have asked for. So I know that, you know, you create a plan of what you want to do and, you know, probably have some big ideas in there. And then, you you know, you obviously have to present it to the CFO and the CEO and, you know, ask for budget sign off and approval. You know, you don't always get it. So, you know, what's like the first thing you should do if you aren't given the budget that you necessarily want? I am all about quality over quantity. So, as you say, you're always going to go through that iteration. You're going to have your big budget. You then trim it down a bit. You usually end up trimming down a little bit further. My mantra really is what can you do really well? You don't want to be spread thin. You want to pick a few key activities and go really deep on them. That's that's how I tend to approach it. I think it helps to clear your mind to do really well on those big things, and it helps you to milk them properly, um, you know, identify every aspect that's going to help you. So some examples, if you're running a conference, there's always a peripheral, you know, there's a bit of um, display advertising that might go with it. There might be an email blast. A lot of the time, it's easy just to Put on the event, you know, get your stand together, get the branding, focus on the actual physical show and forget all of the stuff that can happen around it because we're working so fast. We're trying, you know, we're always on to the next thing. But actually just taking the time to really focus, make sure that you are looking for every single opportunity, understand who else is out there, who can help, who you can align to, and just going deep on everything. I find keeping it simple and focusing on quality is really what helps you just maximize your resources all the time. Yeah, and it's a fine balance between, like, maximizing resources but also wanting the team to be creative and, you know, come up with big ideas and to yep. dream big. How do you encourage them to kind of dream big if you don't have unlimited budget? <laughs> I think content marketing is always a good approach because you don't have to have the big budget. It takes time, and, and I suppose that's the thing about big ideas, right? Some of them require budget. And some of them just require the time. And neither of those is freely available when you work in a a small company. But I think that, you know, inspiring people to actually come up with those big ideas is about focusing on the outcomes. It's understanding what you need and working back from there. A lot of the time, I find that an idea can come about and people are so focused on that idea, they forget why they're doing it. And if you actually peel away the different layers and ask, what value are you expecting to see? What, what would success look like? You can actually work out what really matters. And then as a marketing team, sometimes it's about starting from scratch. Once you've understood the outcome, once you've got to the, the nuts and bolts of the, the problem somebody is trying to fix, then you can be creative as a team and you can put your own ideas forward as to how to, 
how to actually achieve them. I think in my career, as I said, because I've worked so close to founders and salespeople, a lot of the big ideas originate out of the team as well. So we've got our plan. We've got some big ideas in there that we know are going to take time. And then, you know, something else. Or could you just, it, we, I always call it the could you just. Something else comes in. So a lot of it is about balancing that. But in terms of inspiring the team, I think it's always go back to the root. What is the problem? What is success? And what can you do as a team to, to work your way to that outcome without necessarily, you know, needing the big budget or big complicated ideas? And content is a great way to do it. I think finding the SMEs, the subject matter experts, is really hard sometimes. But if you've got a good network, I think you can develop some really good content, give yourself a bit of time to do that, and you can achieve the same outcomes that you would with a massive conference that costs a lot of money sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the subject matter experts, you know, it's you can pull them internally, but you can also pull them externally. Yeah. We quite often do that for clients where we go out to like our network to pull them in. And that's yeah. really good for getting a wider industry reach, but also for, you know, if you don't have the subject matter experts yeah. in-house and for co- like collaborative marketing. I think collaborative marketing is really good for, yeah, it maybe achieving more with tighter budgets because then you don't have to front all the costs. Um, but I want to go to back to a point that you said about CEOs and founders and salespeople having ideas and the could you just. I mean, I think it's quite difficult when you're managing multiple stakeholders to like know what is a good idea and they don't always have a background in marketing so they don't always understand like why you might do something or not do something. How do you filter through big ideas to know what's going to actually add value to the company rather than just being another thing that, you know, the founder yes. <laughs> had a dream about and thought that would be a good idea. Yes. So a go-to market, I mean, that's like your compass, I think. I've worked in places where we've had a go-to market that's been spoken about, but not necessarily documented. And it's very easy then to get, you know, pulled into all sorts of different directions. And I really campaigned for this where I am at the moment was to have a documented go-to market that had been jointly developed with all relevant stakeholders. I think that's really key. Once you've got that document that you've all input into, you've had a chance to discuss and debate, that really should be your lens. And that helps you put a whole load of ideas just to one side. Don't fit your go-to market. Don't spend your marketing resource on it. We will also look at CRM data. So that's a proven results, you know, what has worked within all of the tactics that we have available. I think anecdotal feedback, that's the source of hidden gems, speaking to our sales teams to find out how they're using, if it is content, you know, how are they using the white papers? What have they managed to achieve outside of the marketing channels? Because there's a whole load of stuff that goes on with salespeople using our content that we don't necessarily hear about. And all of those together, I think, really give you your, your way of prioritizing what you should and shouldn't be working on. I then have a couple of other qualifying questions. One is, can you execute with quality? You know, you might still have gone through that GTM, CRM, anecdotal feedback, and you might be left with a couple of ideas that you still, you know, need to kind of work out which one can you do if it's only one of those. Can you execute with quality? Is it realistic? You know, do you have the resources available to actually do something well, or would it just be an attempt? I think, you know, always focus on quality and be realistic. And then again, keep it simple. I think if you keep it simple, you can actually do a lot more and and you don't have to overcomplicate things a lot of the time. I think to your point, you know, leveraging external SMEs, that's that's been really key to us. Some of the stuff that we've wanted to do, we haven't been able to, you know, 
ramp up as quickly because we don't have that internal expertise. People may have asked for a white paper, emerging topic. We need a white paper. We want to be, you know, out in front with all of our clients um, talking about this. But actually, one example that we've got from where I work now, which is coordinated by a, a great colleague of mine, was to set up an advisory board. We didn't know about the topic. We engaged with people in the market who had an interest, who were you know, on, on this journey, and we engaged them in an advisory board. And that really kind of fed in to all of our knowledge and helped us then to develop our activity around it and actually act more quickly. So I think, yeah, for me, it's go to market, use the data from your CRM, find out what's actually worked, speak to sales, and understand what you can do realistically with the resources you have, because you have to deliver something. You don't want to get to the point where you just, you have, you know, that idea, but you don't, you don't know how to actually pull it off. Focus on what you can do. Yeah, I think that's a good point, you know, keeping it simple and not overcomplicating it. I think, you know, big ideas can sometimes be really scary, you know, especially if it's something new that you maybe haven't tried before. You don't really know if it's going to work. You don't know, you know, maybe even how to begin to execute it. You know, how can you overcome that initial fear and, you know, not have the problem of inertia? (laughs) I actually think it's always good to be a bit scared. I feel like that's how I that's how I grow. Uh, you know, every new job that I've taken, I've been slightly scared about, or every big project that I've started to work on, I've I've had a sense of discomfort to begin with. But unless you have that, I don't think you're going to really push and challenge yourself. So I, th- I think part of it is embrace that level of uncertainty, discomfort, because that's what is going to make you do your best work. I think. I also think a big idea is like a journey. I think there's no. Chinese proverb I mentioned I grew up in the Far East a thousand mile journey begins with a single step you just have to get started sometimes but just as you would plan out a thousand mile journey you would have stages plan out your project and and one thing I like to do is work out if if it's a big project with big timelines and you know that you know it might be six months until you actually execute on that final piece what can you do on those stages to add value along the way we've talked about content white papers as an example Many times in my career, I've got a request for a new white paper for an event that might be a couple of weeks away. <laughs> uh, and as a, as a one-woman team, sometimes I'm like, Where, how do I do this? So, you know, stop, think. And I'm like, okay, I could probably deliver a blog. Is that enough? Call to action at the bottom of the blog. Register your interest to receive the full white paper when it's out. And that gives you, a, you know, a way of kind of keeping the conversation going. So that's really how I do it. I look at it as a journey, plan out the stages, Make sure that each stage is delivering some kind of incremental value so that you know that you can test things as you go. You can work out if things aren't working. If you take the wrong path, you know, you can you can work it out, look at the results and get back on the right path to to get you to your final destination. But just add value along the way, celebrate the little successes and just make sure that you're always keeping track of the results as you go. Yeah. And I mean I quite like seeing it as a journey, both because <laughs> You can't just do a big project overnight. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times we've had people say, "Oh, can you just do this white paper by like next week?" I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but also, you know, thinking of it as a journey, and there may be like detours along the way. You might make mistakes, yeah. but you know, you're going to learn from them. And you know, it doesn't have to be the first time you try something. It doesn't have to be you know 100 perfect. No. And you might discover something. You might discover that it doesn't work for your audience and then try something new. But I think, like, 
especially in B2B, we quite often don't have the freedom to kind of experiment yeah. and to kind of see if something might work. And I think that's the gamble with big ideas is quite often they are out of the box. Yep. So they aren't, you know, your run-of-the-mill standard stuff that you've always done. It's something new and innovative that could bring great fortune, but also carries quite a lot of risk. Yeah, that's true. And I think you have to be clear about that. I think, you know, again, your go-to market will remove a certain element of risk because you'll know you're aiming in the right direction. But you have to get people comfortable with the fact that things aren't going to be perfect the first time around. It would be very rare to have that. So again, as long as you know what success looks like and you keep that in mind and you keep looking at the results and if you're not getting there, learn from it and, and have the confidence to say, let's just call it a day. This isn't working. We're not going to spend any more time or resource. If you've got lean resources, you don't want to be putting them where you know you feel like you have to, but actually you know it's not delivering. Be confident. Move on to the next thing. Pat yourself on the back because you've learned from it and you know Move put on. it away. Yeah. I think that one of the challenges is with stakeholder buy-in because like some people in the C-suite aren't as comfortable with risk. So yeah. you know we know that CFOs don't like risk. They want to know exactly, you know, what that pound's going to equate to. Yeah. Depends on the CEO. Not all CEOs are comfortable with risk. So how do you get buy-in from, you know, the wider C-suite on big ideas that might carry more risk yeah. than your standard BAU? I think it probably depends what environment you work in. I've always worked in a very consultative sales environment, and it's very hard when you've got long sales cycles to actually equate every pound you spend to every pound you yeah. bring in. Well, most B2B have six to nine months at least, yeah. Yeah. if not longer. Yeah, exactly. So you lose sight of it. And you also, as I said, you know, the anecdotal feedback is where you hear a lot of stuff where you realize marketing has had an influence, but you haven't necessarily tracked it in your CRM because there's no field for... I gave the white paper to this contact and they passed it on. You know, you, you just lose out on, on some of that background stuff. So I think in terms of helping people get comfortable with that spend is making sure, as I said, you're tracking down the anecdotal feedback and you're flagging it when you can. So I am all for going into CRMs and changing, you know, fields to, to track where we've had success and, and just making sure that, you know, all of our reporting is really clear to try and make sure that at least you've captured the very direct impact of marketing. With the influence, it's about having conversations and making sure you play that back. But essentially, I feel like I've, I've been in my roles because it's been a very consultative sales cycle. Marketing has been more collaborative with sales and it hasn't been about that quick buck, if you like. It, it's that partnership and it's how do we add value through the entire process of the sales conversation. And that then makes it easier to get people comfortable with some of the big ideas because they can see that it's not just about bringing, you know, a thousand leads in on this particular day. It's actually about, <laughs> it's about relationships, building relationships. That's an important part of what we do between our salespeople and their prospects and their customers. And also between, you know, our little ecosystem, our partners and our customers and, and, and marketing helps that, but it's very hard to measure. So I think I probably, I've been very lucky to be in an organizations where we've been, close enough to have those conversations and everybody's heard of the impact of whatever, you know, is going on. One thing I think is really important in this though is, um, and I've been in companies before where sales get a little bit protective of, you know, the deals that they're closing and they don't always want to 
recognize that marketing's had a role to play and that doesn't do anybody any favors. You know, that means marketing isn't understanding what money is having an impact. And, you know, if it's like, oh, I, this was all my deal, marketing had nothing to do with it, we're not going to get the funding again next time. So a lot of effort goes into working with sales and helping them understand why it's important to help us track, why it's important to come back to us proactively and feedback what's happened and be transparent and, you know, see it as a partnership. It doesn't matter who, you know, what kind of actually resulted in that final signature. It's about us all working together and adding value throughout that whole relationship. So, yeah, I maybe I've been lucky, but I think in a transactional environment, it's a lot more difficult, right? Dollar for dollar, you kind of, you want to be able to track what you spend. But in a consultative environment, it's about those relationships. And if you can prove that your content or your marketing efforts and your events are bringing people together and stimulating the right conversations, you tend to get that support. Yeah, I think it's particularly hard with like big ideas about how you track and measure the results of it because there might be lots of different components. Yeah. You know, it might not go live for, for you know, six months. Yeah. So you could be working on something and, you know, not actually have, say, the event or whatever it is for, you know, six months down the line. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, what KPIs do you set around a big idea? And then how do you track and measure that along the way to make sure you are, you know, going in the right direction? Yeah. In the past, I've used OKRs. Um, really successfully, objective and key results. And primarily when I was in a very, very early stage startup. And so everything at that point was a big idea, you know, new website in six weeks. And um, can we have our first client event two weeks later? And it was just go, go, go. And OKRs were really helpful in that instance, because we were small enough to all work together as a team. And we managed to frame everything we wanted to do as a whole company under one objective and then the key results all lived off that so it made it very easy for us all to be working towards the same goal but each kind of fulfilling our different piece of the of the pie and we worked in sprints so it was a case of getting together every two weeks and committing you know what you were going to do in that next two week period and coming back and being very accountable for it and Results, obviously, were a key part of OKRs as well. So we would constantly be measuring ourselves as we went. So having that kind of structure, having a really quick sprint way of working, regular reviews, most importantly to me is having everybody working in the same direction um, and being accountable to each other as well. I think that all, that, that helps because then you're forced to look at the results on a regular basis and you are also forced to be transparent with other people across the organization and Everybody has, you know, then visibility into what's working and what's not and can help to make suggestions as to how to shift things if you need to. Yeah. And I mean, on, on journeys, we they never go smoothly. There's always setbacks. What do you think is like the biggest challenge you've seen to bringing a big idea to life? And, you know, how did you how did you overcome that? I think over the course of my career, time has been the biggest challenge <laughs> to me. always a challenge. <laughs> so you can't create more time. I wish <laughs> it would be nice to. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think, you know, some of it is about working out how you can extend your resources. So we have a good partnership ecosystem. And wherever I've worked, our partners have been really important to us. So sometimes you can spread the load with them. You can share things and, and you know, achieve more together if you can find people who can kind of take on a bit of the legwork. I think that's it. It's working out who else you can leverage, whatever um, resources you have. I've got, I've got an example from the larger company that I worked with. There was a request 
to set up a blog. And now I worked in a big organization, but our team was a small business unit and I was the only marketing person. And it was an interesting dynamic, actually, because I did not have access to the rest of the marketing organization. They were very focused on their plans and no big idea was going to come into the central marketing group and, you know, veer them off course. So I was kind of, you know, left with this challenge of setting up a blog. I had no writer. It was just me. You know, where did I go? Um, I managed to secure an intern. So that was a big help. Um, we managed to very quickly kind of feed into an intern program that was running at the organization. Lucky to get a very bright intern to work with me. And we broke down the problem. Started with research and the intern was very much focused on gathering as much input from the market as they could get to understand what would people want in a blog? What was already there? What were the gaps? What value could we add um, to what was already potentially quite a crowded market? And once we'd done the research and worked out there was real appetite for it, then I sold it back in to the main organization. And I was lucky enough to work for a firm that actually had, where well, we were a media outlet. So we had journalists and papers and blogs already going and managed to take the idea to them, prove through the research that there was a gap in the market and that people were looking for content and they hired a journalist and launched a blog and we were then able to capitalize on it. We lost the editorial control, but we never had the opportunity to input into that anyway because we didn't have writers. We were able to piggyback off a much larger brand, get some great content and thought leadership that we could then leverage through our own marketing channels. So it was fortuitous that, you know, we had a larger organization aligned to us. But I think it is just about being a little bit creative, you know, working out what what do you have at your disposal? And if you have a good idea and if you can sell it in and get somebody to partner with you on it, then you've, you know, bought yourself a bit of time really because you've got a few more resources in your arsenal. Yeah, because I mean, probably the biggest challenge with bringing a big idea to life is obviously time, like you said, and, you know, needing something quickly. But then, you know, how do you manage it with resources? Because big ideas often fall outside the BAU. Exactly. So there's not dedicated resource to being able to bring something like a blog to life. Yeah. You know, you're having to steal resources from other departments yeah. or, you know, scrape it together to be able to to justify it. But I quite like the idea there as well of like, starting with an MVP. So, you know, proving the value of a big idea yeah. before you actually bring it big. So, you know, like you did with doing that research and showing that there's, you know, potential there. <laughs> Sad that you lost the editorial control <laughs> after that. But we kind of needed but to. <laughs> it got it off the ground because yeah. you're able to prove that, you know, it was worth investing in. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the challenges is proving that something is worth doing when you've never done it before. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, time is the enemy of the big idea, right? You know, you want to do a product launch and as a marketing person, you know, it's probably going to take you a good 12 to 18 months to do something amazing because of all the moving parts. But I've been in situations where I've had to condense something like that into four months. It's a shame because you, you have the big ideas and so you know that if you do it in a shorter amount of time, there's a likelihood that things might just escape. And I, I don't like things escaping. You know, you want to make a big deal out of something. You want to tell the story around a big idea. And sometimes it's um, it's a case of helping people to understand what those extra few months would give you, but always finding a compromise. Again, in a scale-up, you just have to act fast, right? And sometimes you're going to have to just say, actually, I would rather have something done and out than hold on another six months and have something absolutely perfect. So it's about finding the right balance between your business objectives and, you know, where you are as a company and making sure that you just 
you know, do what you can. Sometimes things just have to become much smaller. Sometimes with a bit of research and, you know, selling in, you can actually buy yourself that extra time to do something amazing. Yeah, I mean, it is quite a d difficult balance because on one hand, you don't want to like miss the momentum of exactly. like the excitement internally and the excitement yeah. in the market to launch a big idea. But you also don't want to like sit on something so long. Yeah, you also don't want to sit on something because of fear of like not having it perfect. Yeah. And, yeah, balancing it all um, and trying to not do it overnight as well. <laughs> yes. Because it takes longer than, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Exactly. But it's easy to fall into the trap, right? I think, you know, when I first went from a larger organization to a scale-up, I had the large organization mindset. And I'm like, well, that will take a year. So why don't we just do it properly, give ourselves 12 months? But you just don't have that luxury of time. You've got to be out there with something in a smaller organization much more regularly. So that really changed my mindset. And that's really where I kind of started to break down the ideas and look at how can you deliver that value along the way you know if you can deliver value every if it's a year-long project how can you deliver something every couple of months it's going to give you something it's going to give you something to celebrate something to you know keep sales happy keep founders happy it's about just finding those little successes and leveraging those on the way and what's your favorite big idea what's like the best thing you ever pulled off um, <laughs> or that you're completely surprised yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I think coming back to the blog that we established, just after that, so this was when I was working in a small division of a large organization, and we had just launched a second product. The business was doing really well. It was starting to get a lot of attention from outside of the organization. And we had a request for, uh, can we just do a conference? Because now we've got contacts, we know, you know, we, we know hundreds do? of people in the market. <laughs> we've got loads of good speakers who could come and speak. And I was like, they wanted to do it really. tomorrow. <laughs> I think we I think they'd given us about four months or something. Oh, okay. So yeah. Where in my budget am I going to be able to, you know, first of all flight as many speakers as we need to a certain country and then get, you know, potentially 200 delegates was kind of what we were looking at, plus organize our partners to exhibit. You know, this was going to be a full conference. Again, just me. So my boss at the time was amazing. And, and this is something that I try and do with my team is open up conversations across the organization again to see who can help bring that big idea to life. And so he managed to open the door to the conferences team who we did have a team who put on conferences, but they were, you know, again, they didn't, they had their commercial model, they had their plan for the year, and it was highly unlikely that, you know, they would just kind of pick up and, and run with something at the last minute. But again, we managed to put a case together that showed the momentum that the business was experiencing and why, you know, why our products were so key at that particular time. There was a lot going on with regulation. It was all around know your customers, so there was a lot going on around regulation at the time. And there was a real desire for people to learn, come together to learn from each other. It's not a competitive area. People do want to collaborate and communicate. And again, it was about selling the idea in. And, you know, a few years later, it was an annual conference that was run by our organization. We attracted up to 400 people at one point. That was an area where I still was very much aligned to the agenda, to, you know, who was speaking and to helping to shape the whole thing and bring it together. But yeah, really proud of that one because it just, it, it became a big commercial opportunity for the firm. It's um, not an easy feat to pull out a whole, off a whole conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we did, we did have support, but in terms of bringing together, you know, 
where I was able to kind of help was around the agenda, the topics. I didn't have the experience of, you know, working with the people who were selling the tickets um, to the delegates or who were organizing the um, exhibition area. You know, that was where we needed to expand our skills. So they were the areas that we were able to get some help with. But in terms of bringing the content and, you know, suggesting the speakers and actually the, the core, you know, the foundations of what we were going to be talking about, um, that was where we were able to add value. So again, I think that's it with the big idea. You know, if you can find people who can supplement the skills that you don't have, or the time that you don't have and focus on where you can really add the value and, and you know, use that, just coordinate others around you. I think it can really help to pull things off. But yeah. it does take time. And again, sometimes you do just have to tone things down a bit. It's totally true. It does take time. Plan <laughs> ahead. <laughs> I would love to just have a magic wand to, to wave with time because, yeah, that's what we're up against all the time as marketing people. Yes, I dream about being able to create more time. I, I really wish I could. <laughs> And I think even with, you know, even with all the budget in the world, I've said this before, you know, a big idea doesn't have to cost the F, you know, but even if you have all the money in the world, I still think I, my mentality is just go and look and see how I can make things stretch. It's just how I'm ingrained. I'll always look for those extra opportunities. I'll look for the opportunities to kind of eke a little bit more out of every channel. So I think it becomes a mindset after a while. Yeah. No, I think that is a really good mindset to have, to dream big. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thank you um, for having me. It's been a pleasure to have you here. And yeah, I feel really inspired. I want to go have some big ideas. Have some big ideas. Bring them to life. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, plan, have your milestones ready, celebrate all of the successes along the way. I can't wait. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Magali, for joining me on Tech Marketers Encore. You can find out more about Magalie by following her on LinkedIn. Hopefully, you've picked up some marketing strategies you can take away. And if you're tempted by a bottle of our favorite red, there's a link in the show notes. I'm your host, Catherine Strachan, CEO of Coffeehouse, an award-winning B2B content marketing agency for fast-growing fintech and technology brands. If you're looking for a place to pick up the best marketing insights in 2023, our specialist at Coffeehouse got you covered. Find us at coffeehouse.io. The link's in the show notes. Tech Marketers Uncork is produced by Fascinate Productions. See you next time.